This is Space Time, Series 23, Episode 133, for broadcast on the 11th of December, 2020. Coming up on Space Time. The star making enough dust to build an Earth-sized planet every year. The threat of the asteroid Apophis, which refuses to go away. And concerns it could take a year to fix problems aboard the Orion spacecraft. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers have discovered a wolf ray at star system making enough material to produce a planet the size of the Earth every year. The secrets of this amazing star system, reported in the Astrophysical Journal, were uncovered through two decades of painstaking observations using some of the world's biggest optical telescopes. Wolf Rayettes are massive stars at an advanced stage of stellar evolution and losing material at very high rates. They're thought to have evolved from spectrotype O blue stars, which have lost their hydrogen envelopes to reveal an exposed helium core. Wolf rayettes usually have masses more than 25 times that of the Sun, with surface temperatures of over 25,000 Kelvin, and up to a million times the Sun's luminosity. They generate very powerful stellar winds, thought to be driven by intense radiation pressure, and ejecting as much mass as the Sun every 100,000 years, at speeds of 3,000 kilometers per second. Only a few hundred wolf rayettes have ever been identified. Most are hidden, cocooned inside the massive dust clouds they produce. Wolf rayettes can be subdivided into two main groups. WN stars, which have spectra dominated by helium and nitrogen emission lines, but can also contain some carbon. And WC stars, which are dominated by helium, carbon and oxygen emission lines and lack any spectra for nitrogen. Observations suggest that about half of all wolf rayette stars occur in binary systems. It's thought their partners would either be another wolf rayet star or a more evolved compact companion, such as a stellar mass black hole or neutron star. And their ultimate demise are just as spectacular as their lives, concluding in either a Type 1b or Type 1c supernova explosion. The authors of our study used the Keck Observatory, the Subaru Telescope and the Gemini Observatory, all on Mauna Kea in Hawaii, to capture images of newly formed dust streaming from a massive binary star system called Wolf Rayet or WR112. WR112 is composed of a Wolf Rayet star with a companion that's also much more massive than the Sun. The author's sequence of images included observations using the Keck Observatory's high-resolution thermal infrared long-wavelength spectrometer. It shows the system moving over time, with the two stars orbiting around each other over a period of 20 years, causing the appearance of a spiral rotation. The authors found the dust is forming in the region where the stellar winds from these two stars interacts. When the two stellar winds collide, they generate turbulence releasing huge amounts of shock gas X-rays and condensing out copious amounts of carbon-based aerosol dust particles. The study's lead author, Ryan Lau from the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA, says the WR-112 system's incredibly hot and luminous, with very fast stellar winds ejecting material at high velocities over thousands of kilometres per second. 
Lau and colleagues follow the decades-long evolution of the dust nebula around WR112. They expected the dust to incinerate, both because of the intense radiation of heat and the violent winds. But it survives despite the extreme environment. While similar binary dust formation has been seen in other systems, the dusty nebula around WR112 is far more complex. Previous observations of the system by Lau, using the Very Large Telescope back in 2016, led him to believe that the dusty nebula wasn't moving. But the new observations have revealed that the dusty shell definitely has moved since the previous observations. And as he looked through the data, it became apparent that the dust spiral was actually tumbling towards the Earth, an observation later confirmed by modelling. Lau says the revised observations of WR112 allowed him to determine just how much dust the system was producing. So the result that we have, uh, the objects that we're looking at are called Wolfray stars. Um, this is a type of massive evolved star. Uh, so these evolve from stars that are over 20 times the mass of our sun. Not only are they 20 times more massive, but they're also... Uh, millions of times more luminous than the sun. So these are some of the most extreme stars that we know of. So this particular star is called WR112. So the WR stands for Wolf Ray. Um, this is a particularly interesting Wolf Ray star because it's forming dust. So the reason why this is so unusual is because, like I mentioned, uh, these stars are very luminous, uh, they're very hot, and they also have very fast uh, what are called stellar winds. So they're ejecting materials at very high velocities over thousands of kilometers a second. So the fact that we see dust, uh, which condenses in very cool environments, is actually quite a big mystery. So this is why we are interested in this particular object, uh, WR112. We have over, we have around 20 years of observations of this target, um, and what it actually shows is this, this beautiful spiral rotation motion, um, which was really quite uh, surprising to us. So the O star, the companion star, is the one that's embedded in this reddish-orange uh, spiral dust shock uh, cone. And then the one outside of that is the Wolf Ray star. Uh, that's the uh, hot, massive star. So this is, they're orbiting around each other on timescales of about 20 years. And that's, that orbital motion is actually what's causing the appearance of this uh, spiral, this three-dimensional spiral. The direction, the viewing angle that we have towards this system is not face-on. It's actually closer to edge-on, meaning that the orbit, instead of looking like they're spiraling around each other, you actually turn it a little bit more so it's aligned with our line of sight. And because of that, it'll affect the morphology or the appearance of this dust shock cone uh, that's forming. So this spiral dust cone will look very different depending on how we're viewing it. And this system, WR112, produces a lot of dust. Uh, it produces around an Earth mass of dust every year, which is a pretty substantial quantity of dust. So um, this has some pretty interesting implications for the origin of dust in the early universe. That's Ryan Lau from the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA. And this is Space Time. Still to come, a new threat to Earth being posed by the asteroid Apophis and growing fears that it could take up to a year to fix a problem aboard the new Orion spacecraft. All that and more still to come on Space Time. 
Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. You know, when we look at the demographics of this show, we find there are people of all age groups who listen. And they're listening because they have one thing in common. They have a love of science and a love of learning. Okay, that's two things. And really, that's what The Great Courses Plus is all about. It's a streaming service with thousands of engaging lectures from top professors and experts. It never ceases to amaze me how they attract so many of the world's best minds to their lecturing staff. This is quality learning at an affordable price. Two topics that always come up for discussion among space-time listeners are dark energy and dark matter. Now, I grant you, that can be difficult concepts to grasp, but the Great Courses Plus can come to your rescue. While I was browsing their course list, I found this great 24-part course called Dark Matter, Dark Energy, The Dark Side of the Universe. Led by theoretical physicist Sean Carroll, it examines key concepts of an expanding universe, from Albert Einstein to Edwin Hubble. If you have questions, this is where you'll find the answers, in plain English. Brilliant! The Great Courses Plus offers unlimited learning at a time when we need it most, but without adding the pressure of homework or grades. It's in-depth learning at your own pace. And the Great Courses app makes it easy. You can learn anytime, anywhere in the world. So why not join me and sign up with The Great Courses Plus today, either for yourself or as a gift for a friend. And for our space-time listeners, there's the added advantage of being able to check out the entire Great Courses Plus library for free. That's free access to any course or lecture. All you have to do is sign up using our special URL. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com space. That way they'll know you came from us and you'll be hoping to support our show. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And of course, we've included the URL details in the show notes and on our website. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And now, it's back to our show. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. A new threat to Earth is being posed by the asteroid Apophis. The near-Earth asteroid 99942 Apophis first triggered alarm bells back in 2004 when initial observations suggested there was a real possibility that the 370-metre-wide space rock would crash into the Earth on April the 13th, 2029. Now, such an impact would have had global consequences well beyond the destruction it would create at ground zero. You see, Apophis would impact the Earth with kinetic energy equivalent to 1,200 megatons of TNT. Now, by comparison, the biggest hydrogen bomb ever exploded, the Soviet Union Tsar Bomber, was around 57 megatons. And the infamous 1883 eruption of the volcano Krakatoa had the equivalent of roughly 200 megatons. And that was the loudest explosion ever heard on Earth. Of course, the exact effect of any impact will be based on the asteroid's composition and the location and angle of impact. Still, any impact would decimate an area covering thousands of square kilometres, creating an impact crater more than five kilometres across, and triggering major land or sea tsunamis, depending on where it fell. There'd be huge seismic activity, probably volcanic eruptions would be triggered by it, and it would generate climate-changing debris clouds. Now, luckily, as astronomers gathered more detailed observations of Apophis's orbit, they were able to eliminate the possibility of a 2029 impact. Still, Apophis would make a very close approach, missing the planet's surface by just 31,200 kilometres, closer than the orbits of geostationary satellites. 
and the close approach will be visible from Europe, Africa and Western Asia. In fact, it will be the closest asteroid of its size in recorded history, becoming as bright as magnitude 3.1 and visible with the unaided eye from rural and darker suburban areas and clearly visible with binoculars from most locations. And the story doesn't end there. There was a very real possibility that Apophis's 2029 close encounter with the Earth would send the asteroid through what's known as a gravitational keyhole, an area of space just 800 metres wide, which would set up the asteroid on an impacting trajectory exactly seven years later on April the 13th, 2036. Now, the good news is that as observations continue to further refine Apophis's orbit, the likelihood of an impact continued to decline until eventually it was ruled out completely in 2013. The 2036 close encounter was moved to late March, and the distance from Earth at closest approach increased to somewhere between 8.4 and 35.32 million kilometres. A safe flyby. Apophis is expected to again closely approach the Earth in 2066 and 2068. The 2066 close encounter was never going to be a concern, and neither was the 2068 close approach. That was at least until new calculations by astronomer David Tholen from the University of Hawaii uncovered some worrying information. Tholen and colleagues noted that earlier researchers had failed to account for the Yakovsky effect. Now, We've spoken about this before on space-time. The Yukoski effect is caused by the sun heating up the day side of an object, and this heat is stored in the rocks on the surface. And then as this object rotates in its natural course of events, that heat is radiated back out into space on the nighttime side. In the process, it generates a tiny but measurable amount of thrust, which over long periods of time does have an effect on an asteroid's trajectory. Tholen has told a meeting of the American Astronomical Society's Division for Planetary Sciences that the new data shows that the Yakovsky effect is pushing Apophis to one side, and it's pushing it with enough force to cause it to drift by approximately 170 metres per year. And with this new information added to Apophis's orbital path, it does bring it much closer to the Earth. Now, while there's still no indication that Apophis is likely to impact the Earth in 2029 or 2036... The 2068 encounter could be of somewhat greater concern. To find out more, Andrew Dunkley is speaking with astronomer Professor Fred Watson. We're going to get smashed to oblivion by an asteroid. Uh, they're calling it Doomsday. Or, or not. Or not. <laughs> I'm thinking the not. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a really interesting object, Apophis. Oh, yes. Um, Great name. The, yeah, it is, yeah. So Apophis will have a close approach to Earth on, and I love the date, on Friday the 13th of April, 2029. We know that will happen, mm -hmm. and we know that it will come within the ring of geostationary satellites. We know that it will be visible to the unaided eye. It will be so near, because this thing's 300 metres across. It's big. Wow. But what we also know is that it won't hit the Earth. So that is not, that Friday the 13th, 2029, is not going to be doomsday. I already, uh, already see will... the headlines, Fred. You know, you know there's going to be several papers that are going to tell <laughs> yeah. doom and gloom in 2029. They just can't, you know, you've got to sell the paper. Yeah, we know which 
20 oh, hours as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so th that's a definite no hit. But there is another close approach in 2068. And at the moment, to the best of our knowledge, that will also be a non-hit. It will miss the Earth. But what's been recognized is that Apophis is undergoing something called Yarkovsky acceleration. Oh. It comes about when you've got a rotating object being heated by the sun. And of course, an asteroid is exactly that. So if you think about it, so, so if you think about this, this thing moving along in its orbit, the side that's facing the sun is getting heated up. But it turns out that the hottest part of the surface is not the part directly under the sun, because this thing's turning. So the hottest part of the surface is a bit a bit further around. It corresponds to about two o'clock in the afternoon. If you think of noon being where the sun's directly overhead, the thing's turned a couple of hours further, you know, a, a bit further, not a couple of hours on, on the asteroid because that's a different rotation speed. But they're kind of, if you, I'm not making it very clear, but it means the hottest part is not facing the sun. It's actually facing slightly backwards. And what that means is that that part of the asteroid is releasing rather more infra infrared radiation than the rest of it. So it's non-uniform thermal radiation, infrared. Mm. And that radiation basically exerts a, a thrust, a sl very slight thrust on the asteroid. And what it means is that essentially speeding up. The work that's been done, this is from the University of Hawaii, actually, by scientists there. And one of the, it's Dave Tholen, who's uh, actually one of the uh, Institute for Astronomy scientists who works on this. He says, we've known for some time that an impact with Earth is not possible during the 2029 close approach. The new observations we've obtained with the Subaru telescope, I forgot to mention that, Subaru is the Japanese 8-metre telescope on Mauna Kea in Hawaii. It's a first-class instrument. I, I also have a uh, Subaru lawnmower. Dear, there you go. I used to have a Subaru I, I car. I did too. You know I Subaru loved it. Means? Actually, it was my favourite car. You know what Subaru means? No. It is the Japanese word for the Pleiades. Oh. And that's why your Subaru car had stars on it. Oh, okay. I always... All right. I wondered that. <laughs> there you go. Um, let me just go back to Dave Tholen, who says, the new observations we obtained with the Subaru telescope earlier this year were good enough to reveal the Yarkovsky acceleration of Apophis. And they show that the asteroid is drifting away from a purely gravitational orbit by about 170 metres per year, which is enough to keep the 2068 impact scenario in play. Oh, boy. So... What he's saying is, I mean, that's an astonishingly small amount. What a tiny acceleration. It changes by 170 metres per year yeah. uh, when you think of the distance that an asteroid will travel in a year. But anyway, that's the bottom line. So what it means is we are not now certain that in 2068 it won't hit the Earth. Yeah. So uh, that will naturally, what it will do is prompt further observations and Many, you know, in fact, it may well be that within a decade, perhaps, we will know one way or the other whether it's there's any possibility of it hitting the Earth in 2068, mm. just because it'll be observed to death uh, between now and certainly well before 2068. Well, two things. Um, so, uh, Mike, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, two things come to mind. Uh, obviously, we are very much aware of near-Earth objects. We're looking for them all the time. And you and I have talked about potential intervention. You would think by 2068 we'd have a way of giving this thing a nudge so that it misses us, I would be confident of that. Yeah, although it's a big Yes, object, and, and, uh, and that was my next point. Yeah. Um, 300-metre object, if it did hit it, 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 the Earth, what would be the likely scenario from a, a, a 
whether or not it grazed us or hit us full on. An object that size is not fatal to, to humankind. However, it could be fatal to a city yeah. or even a state. You're talking about probably statewide damage for something like that it's and it, it would have an effect on the on the atmosphere generally you know it might put dust into the atmosphere and reduce the temperature a bit or some other effects but it, it's not going to be a, a species extinction mm. event uh it's dangerous though it's very it dangerous could be, could be bad for tasmania yeah it would wipe out tasmania wow. that's right that's scary. Yeah, and, and, you know, if you think of states of similar size, yeah. that's right. But we would be able to probably uh, project the impact point uh, pretty accurately and yeah. move everybody out long before this happened, surely. That's right. The nearer you get to the time, the more accurate you have of what the scenario yeah. will be. You are right, though. It may, by 2068, the technologies we have might be good enough to move it. And in fact, in particular, if, if you get to a couple of decades before and it's starting to really look serious, so that's by the middle of the century, 2050 or so, then you, you can bet your life that remedial action will be mounted rather than just sitting waiting for yeah, it. Yeah, they'll have to dig up Bruce Willis, I'm telling you. I, that might be what it needs. That's Dr. Fred Watson, an astronomer with the Department of Science, speaking with Andrew Dunkley on Space Nuts. And this is Space Time. Still to come... Growing fears it could take a year to fix a new problem aboard the Orion spacecraft. And later in the science report, researchers identify two distinctly different states of liquid water. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Engineers with NASA and Lockheed Martin are trying to work out how to repair a key electronic component that's failed deep inside the Orion Artemis One spacecraft. The faulty component is part of an electronic circuit board that's part of one of the spacecraft's eight power and data units responsible for activating key systems needed for flight. The Orion spacecraft's been developed by NASA to fly aboard its new SLS Super Heavy Lift rocket, taking astronauts on deep space missions back to the moon and eventually onto Mars and beyond. But replacing this faulty power and data unit in Orion won't be easy because it's mounted so deeply inside the spacecraft that it could take a year just to disassemble all the other components in the way. It's positioned inside an adapter that connects the Orion crew capsule to its service module, which contains all the power, propulsion, life support and auxiliary systems needed to keep the crew alive and allow the mission to proceed. And to get to the power and data unit, Lockheed Martin would need to remove the capsule from its service module. And that's a lengthy process that could take up to a year. You see, it would take nine months just to pull the spacecraft apart and put it back together. Then there's another three months worth of testing just to ensure everything's working again. Another option, which will only take about four months, involves tunneling through the adapter's hull by removing some of its outer panels. But that's never been done before, and besides, the panels aren't designed to be removed. Now, there is a third option. It involves simply letting the spacecraft fly with the faulty component. After all, this power and data unit failure simply means that the system has lost redundancy within this one unit, but it can still function. That's as long as nothing else goes wrong. And another point is that the Artemis 1 mission is an unmanned test flight, so no lives are going to be at risk. Of course, that's not an attractive option for a risk-adverse NASA. 
and technicians still don't know why this component failed in the first place, especially after testing fine before installation. Still, any delay in the program will affect the launch schedule, which should see Artemis 1 fly to the moon in November next year, followed by the first manned Orion mission around the moon aboard Artemis 2 in 2023. And then the historic return of humans to the lunar surface on Artemis 3 in 2024. On the other hand, the SLS rocket, specifically designed to fly Orion, has itself been plagued with problems. The 111-metre-tall SLS was supposed to fly in 2017, but it's yet to leave the ground. And a key test slated for this month has now been scrubbed, with no new target date set. So it's always possible that Lockheed Martin and NASA can fix Orion before the SLS is ready to take off anyway. We'll keep you informed. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study suggests that wearing smartwatches could help you detect if you have COVID-19 before symptoms appear. A report in the journal Nature Biomedical Engineering claims some smartwatches can detect changes in your body up to nine days before COVID symptoms surface. The researchers analysed data from 32 patients infected with COVID-19, identified from a group of nearly 5,300 participants, finding that 26 of them, that's 81%, had alterations in their heart rate, number of daily steps or sleep times. The researchers found that for 22 cases, they were able to detect changes before or at symptom onset, and four cases were detected at least nine days earlier. They say their findings suggest that activity tracking and health monitoring by way of smartwatches and similar devices may be useful for large-scale real-time detection of respiratory infections. COVID-19 has now killed well over 1.5 million people and infected more than 66 million others since first spreading out of Wuhan, China, a year ago. A new study warns the amount of plastic pollution in the world's oceans, lakes and rivers could reach some 90 million tonnes per year by 2030. The findings reported in the journal Science are based on research looking at what's going to happen under the current business-as-usual scenario. The authors say extraordinary efforts are needed to transform the global plastics industry if there's to be any hope of reducing plastic pollution. Scientists with the University of Stockholm have for the first time seen water transform between two distinct different liquid states, both made out of pure H2O molecules. Now, under the right conditions at around minus 63 degrees Celsius, the two different liquid states of water can exist at different pressure regimes with a density difference of 20%. The authors found that by varying the pressure before the sample could freeze, it was possible to observe one liquid changing into the other in real time. Their findings are published in the journal Science. How water's properties, such as density, specific heat, viscosity and compressibility, respond to changes in pressure and temperature is the complete opposite of other liquids. And consequently, water is often called anomalous. However, it's still somewhat of an open question as to what causes these anomalies. And there have been numerous hypotheses to try and explain these strange properties. Most propose that water has the ability to exist as two different liquids at different pressures and at low temperatures. 
the authors were able to undertake ultra-high-speed femtosecond X-ray laser pulses in order to observe the water just before it froze. And this allowed them to see exactly how it transformed from one liquid state to the other. The authors saw structural changes before the water crystallized, with the initial pressure in the high-density liquid phase at 2.5 to 3.5 kilobars before the rapid expansion. They found low-density liquid domains then appeared and grew, causing changes in the observed X-ray scattering intensity. A new study looking at a genetic analysis of 35 North American mastodons suggests the hairy behemoths migrated north as temperatures increased. Mastodons, which were shorter and stockier than mammoths, with shorter tusks, inhabited North and Central America until they became extinct at the end of the Pleistocene between 10,000 and 11,000 years ago, which coincidentally just about happened to be when modern humans arrived in the New World. A report in the journal Nature Communications claims scientists analysed DNA from the giant animals, finding the species must have migrated north more than once, and these migrations coincided with warming temperatures. They found the northern populations had lower genetic diversity than those down south, and warned that similar effects could happen in modern-day creatures, as climate change forces them, too, to move north to beat the heat. Well, if you're still running Internet Explorer 11, Microsoft are about to give you another poke to move on to something newer. They're about to stop their popular web conferencing service, Microsoft Teams, from working on IE 11. With the latest on this and all the other news from the world of technology, we're joined once again by Alex Harov-Royt from ITY.com. They're still using Internet Explorer because they're used to it and because it still works, but Microsoft has ceased support for that. And in fact, their replacement, original replacement Edge browser, uh, which was built on its own technologies, will cease being supported on March the 9th, 2021. With the new Microsoft Edge browser built on Google's Chromium, a code base, the open source version of Google Chrome. So Edge can use the same sort of extensions. And Microsoft obviously wants to move people onto that. It's a much more secure and modern browser. And uh, so Teams, which is their version of Zoom and uh, you know, video conferencing program that, of course, has been very popular this year, simply will no longer work with Internet Explorer 11. So if you're still using that, it's becoming harder and harder to use it reliably and successfully because uh, more and more things are stopping, you know, will no longer work with it. But these, these things are automatic updates normally, aren't they? Yes, but Internet Explorer has been uh, left on people's machines. And with Microsoft Edge, I mean, you have to download it and install it. If you don't, then... And, I mean, there are, there are prompts and pop-ups that you know, Microsoft is telling you on its, uh, in its Bing, you know, Bing page or its uh, main... So it doesn't update it automatically to... It has updated automatically if you update to the newest versions of Windows. Right? The, the very latest updates will, will put it on there for you from memory. There's some people that are running Windows 8 or don't uh, or are not running the latest version of Windows 10, even though they get harder and harder to do because they want you to upgrade. Yep. And some people are using uh, Windows 7 still, even though that's out of support, but you can install the new Chromium Edge on that and people are doing it. I hear there's a scam happening with... PlayStation. Tell me about it. Well, it, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. But it's terrible. I mean, what these scammers are doing is putting a photograph of the PlayStation 5. Very hard to get. It's in great demand. It's sold out everywhere. And uh, they're offering to sell you this uh, photo of a PlayStation 5. But of course, it's not made clear that it's a photo. And there must have been some people who have been scammed by it because eBay is warning of it and telling, you know, <laughs> they condemn these opportunistic sellers who are attempting to mislead other users and that they're in the process of removing all these things for photos of PS5s from their marketplaces that were taking appropriate action against the sellers. 
and for any purchase, but especially highly priced or in-demand items, buyers should exercise caution and thoroughly read the listing description. And uh, they do also say that buyers who receive an item which is not as described are entitled to a refund via eBay money-back guarantee, provided they completed the transaction on the eBay platform. Another very important thing, don't send money through other money services or outside of the system because eBay can't help you then. And uh, Sony themselves have had to tweet out saying, we want to thank gamers everywhere for making the PS5 launch our biggest console launch ever. Demand for PS5 is unprecedented, so we wanted to confirm that more PS5 inventory will be coming to retailers before the end of the year. Please stay in touch with your local retailers. Now, a cynic would say they didn't say which year, <laughs> but obviously that means 2020. And uh, that's good news, but I'm sure they'll be snapped up just as fast. And as with all things online, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Uh, well, we're in December now and not long to go to Christmas, so that shortage is not going to be filled by then. No way. Not entirely, no, but there'll be a, a smidgen of happier uh, people or happy people come Christmas time who did manage to snag an extra PS5, but yeah, a lot of people will be waiting until 2021 for sure. That's Alex Sahara of Reut from ity.com. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Bytes.com.